Hello. My name is Chris Pollock. I'm one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church in Oklahoma City, and I welcome you as we find ourselves in the second week in the season of Advent. Advent is that season where we anticipate the arrival of God, not in the way we expect, but in the way we all need. This week in the way of Jesus, we invite you to the practice of sharing hope. Oh, day of peace that dimly shines Through all our hopes and prayers and dreams Guide us to justice, truth and love Delivered from This season, our congregation is in a sermon series titled Good News for the Poor. I'd like to invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The liturgical text opens with a long list of Roman and Jewish leaders that were so cunning and ruthless that they made today's global leaders look like they are involved in playground politics. Rome's most powerful politicians and priests manipulated systems and people to retain their own wealth and power. They represented the essence of evil. Not much has changed since that day. Evil is apparent in our world. It tries to hide, cover itself up, clothe itself as a useful tool that we need if we're going to progress forward. But if we pull back the curtain, it can be seen for what it is, a road that leads to certain doom, even death. May swords of hate fall from our hands. Our hearts from envy find release Till by God's grace our war and world Shall see Christ's promise A few years ago, I saw a clip that was promoting a television series on the Discovery Channel called Racing Extinction. The clip featured a small bird called a grasshopper sparrow that is on the verge, the very edge of extinction. This short clip featured one of the last remaining male grasshopper sparrows on earth. There he was, once a vibrant part of the life cycle, 
Now he was alone. In the clip, he began to call out for his mate, a little pitch of a song, a little bit of joy in the beginning, but when she didn't come, you could hear the song dip down into a minor key. It became a song of lament because she wasn't coming. It was like this little creature knew he was on the verge of extinction. This is the advent cry. Commercials on television and the radio, internet ads and sitcoms tell us this season promises peace, but that peace comes in Lexuses wrapped in bows, new toys and technology. When we hear this message, we should be concerned. Because Luke tells a different story, a more realistic story of the world. It is a cold, hard world with power brokers who manipulate, propagate, and carry out threats. Evil sits on the throne. Principalities and powers rule. It's almost too difficult for us to think about. Like Luke's audience, like the grasshopper sparrow, we may wonder if we too are on the verge of extinction. What do we do with this? How do you feel about this? It is unsettling, to say the least. It's terrifying, at most. But maybe a more important question to ask is this. How does God feel about all this? Then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb Nor shall the fierce devour the small As beasts and cattle calmly grave While those in charge pulled all the levers while sitting high in the middle of city centers, out in the desert, a word came to John. It came from God. And God is mad. There's a divine fury here in this text. A righteous anger. A wrath. God is angry. God is so indignant to the state of the world that Isaiah's poem brings chills. Get ready. The world as you know it is going to be turned upside down. Disruption will come. Mountains will topple. Valleys will be filled up. Roads will come apart and be put back together. And you won't recognize the world once God is done with it. How do you feel about a God that gets angry? Most people don't like the picture of an angry God. However, in the world of evil, such as we experience today, could it be a good thing when God gets angry? The biblical text tells us that God is slow to anger and is abounding in steadfast love, but it also says it is a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. A translation of the Hebrew language says that God's anger is slow. But that translation misses the intent of the Hebrews. A more accurate translation is this, that God is long-suffering. God is patient. God waits. And God hopes 
that the children will turn and live into the grace that has been extended to them. But eventually, the fury cannot be contained any longer, and a day will come when God declares enough is enough. With the backdrop of abuse, injustice, violence, and darkness, in a world that has gone out of joint, God's anger is this. It is good news for the poor. John announces that in his coming, the world as we know it will be upended. God is at his wit's end with things as they are. God is angry. God's fury is evident. God's nostrils blaze and God breathes fire. This is a scary thing. It is scary to be in the presence of a living God. But think about it. Even while we are scared, would we even want to worship a God who doesn't get angry? Don't we want a God who breathes fire when an innocent person is held in prison under trumped-up charges? Don't we want a God that gets furious when a woman is abused by her husband over and over, when children go hungry while a small part of the population hoards all of the goods? When big businesses wreak havoc on the environment? When wars are created for political gain? When people are profiled, held at gunpoint, threatened, and then shot simply because they went jogging one day in a neighborhood that they did not live in? Don't we want a God like that? God is mad. God is on his way. And when he arrives, all humankind will see God's salvation. It's a scary thing, and yet it's confusing. I would expect an angry God to destroy, but an angry God who saves? That is not what I would have expected. The fury of God is actually a saving move. The ancient prophets did not see God's anger like we do. They believed that an angry God was a good God, a God that was going to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. God is going to bring those in power down to size, stop the injustice, halt the abuse, and usher in a new way of doing things. Each of these officials listed by Lou committed heinous crimes against humanity under the guise of leadership and law. But a divine word came to John in the desert. His message is for them and for those of us who hold power or privilege and abuse with it. God is angry. We've heard it before. God loves us, and that's true. But let us be aware. God loves us enough to be angry with us. So much so, God loves us so much so, that in love we are held to account. Our abuse will no longer be tolerated. We will have to answer for our racist words and actions. There is going to be an unveiling of our intentions. After all, God expects more from us than we expect from ourselves. We see ourselves better than we ought. But divine anger reveals the truth, and God holds us up to a higher standard of righteousness then we hold ourselves. Isaiah envisioned the day. Luke tells the story. John gave the message. It's time to change direction. 
and head another way because the Messiah is coming and he is angry. Strangely enough, someday, sometime, we don't know when or how, but things will change. God is sick of the way things are, and that is good news for the poor. This was a message of hope to the people who heard it for the first time. And now, strangely, this news instills hope within me. My prayer is that it does for you as well. We do not have to live as we've been living. So let's get ready for the Messiah's arrival. The way we do that is through our weekly practices. So this week, we want to invite you to a practice of sharing hope with another person. It seems that we are surrounded with bad news everywhere. But John's message that the Messiah is on his way and he is angry is good news for the world. This week, look for an opportunity to offer hope to someone. When you see someone in need of hope, first ask God to show you how to hope yourself, and then ask God how to share that hope with another. Friends, thank you for joining us this week as we learn to live the way of Jesus together. I pray, I hope, the grace and the peace you need as you wait for the arrival of the Messiah might be yours today. Amen. The hope of peace shall be fulfilled for all the earth shall know.